Ready? Born ready. Welcome back. Welcome back to another Podisode episode of Cool and Conscious. This is super, super exciting. Thank you all so much again for tuning in. I am your host, Cree, at Questions with Cree. Um, and this is being brought to you by Black-owned, Black-run company, Just Eldridge Media. I cannot yep. stress the importance of the companies you support being Black-run. You know, we have Black-owned companies, but do we really have Black-run companies? And that's why every single episode I make sure I mention that Just Eldridge Media is a Black-owned, Black-run company. Because that's really important to me. And that should be important to you. Anywho, um, uh, we have a very special guest here today with us. Super exciting. Can I get some like, yep, yep, yep. Okay, perfect. Um, so he is an Atlanta native um, and he goes by the name of Derek Bozeman. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Well, it's indeed an honor for me to be with you, Cree. <laughs> What's happening? Ooh, there's a lot happening, and yeah. I feel like we have enough time to talk about it. But before we get into it, um, every episode we do something where we ask the guests um, how they're feeling. Mm -hmm. So you get to either choose between being cool or you get to choose between being conscious. So we're going to give you a drum roll. And at the end of that drum roll, you need to let us know how you're feeling. Are you feeling cool today, Derek, or are you feeling conscious, Mr. Bozeman? <laughs> Boom. You know, I'm conscious. Consciousness is a state of mind. Mm. And so long yep. as a man who controls your mind, the thing that controls your mind indeed controls your life. So for me, consciousness is a constant state of homeostasis, that place you want to always be. So for me, uh, being black also means I woke up black this morning. I had mm -hmm. a black day. <laughs> I supported black business and I'm here with the Black Conscious Radio. And so, you know. Wow. I'm conscious. <laughs> you Fully know what? Awake. Yeah. You know what? Okay, give me a drum roll. Give me a drum roll. It's not gonna be that fancy, but give me one. I'm ready. <laughs> okay, I feel uh, conscious as well. Um you brought up a good point. I had a black day. And I feel like no one has ever said that. I had a black day, but when I think about it, I really had a black day too. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and we should always endeavor to have a black day, to love black people, to recognize our black selves, to do business with black people. You mentioned Jess Eldridge Media not only being black owned, but black run and mm -hmm. black operated. Which is so not important. black fronted. That's right. A big difference. Right. And so when we think about it, um, so long as we got each other, we're going to be okay. I don't care if what's an external to our community. If we stay together as black people, you know, ain't no mountain high enough. Mm, okay. So go over for the people that don't know, um, you know, what it is truly like to have a black day. Um, well, cause that was, when I say you, you did something with that, you really did. That's going to stick with me. And so for people, everyone doesn't live black days, you know what I'm saying? So in your typical black day, what does that look like? Well, first of all, we have to understand nomenclature and language, right? Mm. And so the dominant culture, as they think they are, will get, want you to think that everything black is ominous. Mm -hmm. All right? So that if you saw a black cat, then you're told to walk on the other side of the street, right? That's so true, because I get scared. Uh, when right. I see black cats, I, like, freeze up. Certainly. And so, you know... The whole notion that when you wake up, um, I I live in the skin that I'm in, and I'm glad to be black. I'm I'm proud of my broad nose because I know it was necessary because I'm a, a African at mm -hmm. heart and I live by the equator. So this broad nose allowed me to take in oxygen so that my lungs could fully develop. Mm. And so when I say I'm having a black day, I'm fully understanding that this mind that operates in me uh, has to be in recognition that 
we are the ones that made it. And so wow. when I'm having a black day, I think about all of our brothers and sisters, our ancestors who are asleep at the bottom of the Atlantic Ocean and other places that didn't make it. And mm. we are the extension of those. We are their lineage. And so a black day to me is when I wake up, my feet hit the floor. I think the creative force in the universe for giving you power to stand up on two legs that could hold me. Right. And then a great day, a great black day is when you can go out and do more good than harm. And you lay down at night and say, today I had a good day because I made it through. And so that's a, that's a black day. And, and it, if in between, as I said, you can support a black business, mm -hmm. you can encourage uh, a strength in a black family. You can uh, go out and uh, encourage a black youth, speak life into our black uh, 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 young people in our own situation. That's a beautiful, magnificent day. Wow, wow, a thank you. Yeah. Ooh, dropping gems, a black magnificent day. Okay, so with you being um, an Atlanta native, mm -hmm. you have literally seen it change yeah. um, right before your eyes. And me personally, I am 25 mm -hmm. and I grew up over in Pittsburgh. Um, and so I've the seen. Pittsburgh it. community of Pittsburgh. Community. Okay. Um, right. And I feel like I'm going through, I can't really explain it, so maybe you can help me mm -hmm. um, contextualize what it is that I'm feeling. But at this moment, I, I just get sad when I ride down Metropolitan um, because it doesn't look how it once looked. And... I don't know. It just disrupts my spirit when I ride down the street because now I'm seeing these three-story townhomes and I'm Certainly. seeing these garage homes with garages and I'm seeing homes being sold for $900,000. And it's, it's really, it's not so much that the community is quote unquote getting better. It's that as a result, the people that I grew up with are now being displaced and they don't get to benefit sure. from those things. So do you, feel the same way yeah. or how do you deal with those emotions? Cause I feel like well, I'm becoming a little, not bitter, but I'm just upset every time I ride down the streets. Yeah. Well, this is the result of bad public policy. Uh, this is a result of gentrification run amok. This is a result of those in leadership, not loving black people enough to preserve and help them to preserve their neighborhoods. Mm -hmm. What I mean by that, when you overly promote a thing called Beltline, mm -hmm. which is nothing more than an artificial inflation of the real estate market in a uh, a 22-mile circle of concrete. Yes, literally. Okay? literally. Now, on our <laughs> side of town, up the street, it disappears into a place that the police chief would not run on. Mm -hmm. Over at Croc Street, you have these beautiful shops and all of this other stuff that was built. And many people don't know, many of those places were built with tax incentive from the city. And so what you, can you explain that? What does well, that mean? Tax incentive mean when if you build near the belt line, then the city through <gasps> its development you. authority, oh, okay. right? Loaned you the money at almost a zero or low interest rate. Or they provided for you bonding. If I wanted to buy this building, then I have to go to a bank and get a loan. If you wanted to buy a building along the Beltline, you would go to the Atlanta Development Authority or Invest Atlanta. Wow. And they will come up with a financing scheme for you. So we have paid others that don't look like us to come in and take over our community, essentially. Right. And run Big Mama out of her neighborhood, because what happens is Big Mama, who bought that house, just like my mother bought the house where she lives for twenty thousand dollars, fifty six years ago. Mm. Right. Twenty thousand dollars was a lot of money then. Well, they built the four hundred and ninety thousand dollars house next to her. Right next door. And so now if it wasn't for some of us, her children who are able she couldn't pay the taxes alone. Now, her house have long since been paid for. And so that is the kind of thing that grieves your spirit. So as a native Atlantan, I remember the Atlanta that was. 
I remember the land of that is, and I can see where they're aiming it. Mm. And they are not trying to retain legacy residents in this city. They're doing everything to help push them out by not having policies. And some of the policy they could put in place is larger homestead exemption. Uh, senior citizens, once you get past 65 or 70, you stop paying the taxes from the school board. You stop paying certain city taxes. Mm -hmm. You stop paying certain sanitary service taxes. And so we could give a tax rebate as opposed to increasing the taxes. Uh, the taxes on individuals because that's what's making many of these seniors who've been in their home 40, 50 years now losing their property to taxes because now those taxes are three, $4,000 a year. Their social security is not indexing up to reach $3,000 that they can pay in taxes. So if, if my mother didn't have six children right. or five right. now that could help her, she would be in trouble. Mm. to try to maintain her home. Right. And she has owned it now for more than 30 years. Right, right. Yeah. So what does it look like, being that you do have um, expertise in the political realm, mm -hmm. what does a meeting about policy look like? Because I imagine it is full of shit. <laughs> um, but how, as you're maneuvering through that circle, certainly, how... Do you not say you're full of shit without saying you're full of shit? You get what I'm saying? Well, yeah, the one thing you have to understand is the politics. And, and see, politics, I don't understand that. That's not my strong and, and, suit. And here's what I got. To, here's what I here's what I owe Cree. To the extent that you're curious, and to the extent that I have information, right? I've got to now teach you what I know. Of these 56 years, I have a 25-year-old rebel who's ready to go. Uh, I mean, right? I'm ready so, to go. as we say, a rebel without a pause but a serious cause. Mm. All I need to do, now it is the elders that must sit back and teach you how to do this. Because, see, what City, what City Hall knows is that the average person do not understand the language. So they will mm -hmm. tell you, like they have told you on the West Side, we are building affordable housing. Right. And uh, what they will tell you is the regular rate rent at this development is going to be $3,500. But the affordable rate for our people, because we are asking them, to, we gave this developer millions of dollars and he said he would build affordable housing. So then the developer said, well, okay, well, I can, instead of 3500 a month, I'm going to now reduce the rents to $1,500 a month. Now, how does the sister working at Burger King still afford that? Right. At $7.50 an hour, $10 an hour, right? We can do some quick math, and we can tell you she cannot afford $1,500 in rent. Then when you add to the $1,500 in rent, she got to pay gas, electric, and water. So her now we're approaching $2,000, $3,000, $21, $22, 23 uh, for just the basic essential. If she has a car, she got to pay $5 of gas. Young people cannot afford, poor people cannot afford to stay in this city. And it is incumbent upon the city leadership to figure out how do we reverse that? And, and we have a way to do that. And so part of it is, is to know the questions to ask at the right time. Because we will let them tell us that fifteen to sixteen hundred dollars for a one bedroom or two bedroom is affordable. Right. Affordable to who? Right. Not in the Atlanta market where it is a service industry where people either work in fast food, hotels, restaurants, or over at the stadiums or down the mm -hmm. street from here. Atlanta is a service economy. We don't have a major industry. And so most people work in the service economy or they're struggling to be entrepreneurs. They're not making that kind of money. And, and so we're going to get where cities like Miami is now. They can't hire workers. And so whole industries are dying because the hotel industry is reeling. We see now the airline industry is reeling because they can't get folks to go out there and wave mm -hmm. airplanes in. And so now you and I can't get to our big meetings. Because the ground crew is not available. So there's some things that we have to ask and we have to demand. And what what makes me angry about Atlanta, this is so-called black leadership. And uh, and as, as one sister say, we don't have black leaders. We have leading blacks. There's a big difference. Mm-hmm.
And so with those questions, because honestly, it, it burns me up inside at the thought of living in a place where so many black people just want to come. Yeah. Not even realizing that they're coming here to, and they're setting themselves up for failure. <laughs> Unfortunately, I have to say that. But you come here and because you think it's, oh, the black entrepreneurship of the world, black capital of the world. You have all these, oh, black, black people are thriving and living their best lives in Atlanta while not even understanding that they're slowly but surely being displaced and undermined and still oppressed at an alarming rate and. How do you or what questions do you ask and when is the right time? Because I personally feel like the time is now, like the time is always right to do what's right. No doubt. And and I personally struggle with looking past that. So, for instance, if I see someone and I know for a fact that they're not leading the way they're supposed to be leading, they're not using their power to be influential. I'm not going to be able to look at you yeah. and smile past that. Yeah. I just, me personally, I can't because I see it every day. Now, maybe it's different for someone who no longer lives in the community they grew up in and now they're in a different tax bracket and now they're shaking hands with different people. But coming from someone who sees it every single day, Certainly. how do I get into these rooms wait long enough <laughs> to ask the right question yeah. at the right time because I don't feel like re respectfully I can do that. Well, I, you know, you have to align yourself with the people. I, I, you know, I always say power to the people, right? And so the power is with the people. So wherever you see oppressed people fighting for freedom, then join on the side of the oppressed people, right? And so whether it is, um, you know, folks in Vine City who are saying, look, you know, you're over gentrifying this neighborhood and we want to see something happen here. Um, we didn't just elect a uh, uh, Andre Dickens to be the mayor for just one part of town. Uh, we elected him with the expectation that he looks like us. He's from Atlanta. He come from here. He understands, should understand who we are. And so we need to, what we got to do is stop looking for photo ops with these people and say that now where's the housing for people who work at Burger King that make $7.50 an hour because that's what they're making. Mm -hmm. Where's the $500 a month? And I ain't talking about down in no hood. I ain't talking about where you end up getting shot. Where is the nice, when we were redeveloping Pryor Road, the corridor where I mm -hmm. served, mm -hmm. I made one thing very clear. And if you ride that corridor, you'll see it. I said, we want what rich, what rich folk have. We just wanted at poor folk prices. So don't come over here with no shanty town building. Mm -hmm. We want the top of the line of everything. And we're going to subsidize it because guess what? You have disinvested in this community for decades. That means that city dollars that should have came in this neighborhood went other places. And so I make no apologies about saying we're going to put 40, 50, 60 million dollars on one street out of the city's budget. Right. To reshape the possibility of what this neighborhood could be. And that's what you've got to have city leaders who do, who will not take no for an answer. But I understood how power works. Politics is about power. And the mayor, a city council person, elected representative, there's only 12 districts and three at large. I was one, I was in District 12. And I knew the mayor needed my vote every two weeks. And so guess what? Every other week, I'm in the mayor's office telling him what I needed. Or at that time, I served with both Bill Campbell and Shirley Franklin, telling her what I needed and told her that I would not be in a position to support anything on this agenda unless I got some of the things I needed for the district. You've got to be able to let your elected representative know what you need from the district, and he's got to be, he or she got to be willing and bold enough to go get it off the table from the mayor. And see, how do you know that prior to voting? You get what I'm saying? Because you can talk a good talk and then get in there and literally just sit. Well, here's the thing. What we did see, and this is the, the importance of politics, when I got tired of looking at my community deteriorating, guess what I did? I offered myself to run. I was 30 years old when I ran for city council, right? 
And so how old are you again? 25. You got four years to get ready. 29, we running you. 30, you're going to run and win. And so we have to say that realistically now. Because I'd rather have a Cree, you know, uh, it makes a difference who's sitting at that table now. You know, what I tell people, the stuff that never came to the floor of the city council when I was there because they wouldn't put it on. They would not try to screw poor people while I was there. They wouldn't do it because they knew if they tried it, I was going to tell everybody. Okay, And so I'm going to let everybody know who's in the back room cutting deal with these white folks to screw poor people. Okay. So, how, okay, I'm trying to put it, put mm-hmm. my mind, say it's how I see it in my head, right? Okay. <laughs> how does someone like me, mm-hmm. right, who is about to just tell everybody where to get off at because mm-hmm. that's just who I am, if when I walk into a room and I already know that people know who I am and they know that I'm a, not a ticking bomb, but they know, mm-hmm. like, come correct. Those people realistically aren't willing to let me at the table. Yeah. You get what I'm saying? Because now I'm jeopardizing what they have going on. So how do I realistically infiltrate something that is much bigger than me? And you have people on the same page, and then you have me who's reading a completely different book. Yeah. Well, let me say this. Uh, no man or woman is an island. Uh, no, what that that means is that (laughs) if you look at any effective leader, they led through organization. Uh, see, I can isolate Cree very easily. And if you want to be honest about it, I can run Cree out of Atlanta if I wanted to. Right. But if Cree got down here and started organizing a hundred to 200 people, there is no leader in this town that can just call for a meeting and have a thousand people show up. Not even the mayor just off no whim. I'm just, I'm calling it. But if Cree get out here and begin to organize the people, feed the people, love on the people, the people give you credibility. So when on my show, when it opens up, I said, everything I have, black people gave me. So when I walk in City Hall, I'm not walking in as Derek Bozeman, even as the former city council people person. They know I'm walking around as a community organizer. That's what you got to start as a community organizer. That means if you you don't come to the table right, then I'm going to get out here and organize the people. And what does that look like? It looks like Black Lives Matter. Look, That's why they were so scared of that movement. When people, when young people organically came together because they were sick and tired of being sick and tired. They were sick and tired of a city government and a police department shooting black people. They scared whole America. They didn't just scare Atlanta. They made the mayor get courage to fire police officers. They made the mayor get courage to run a police chief out of town. Now, they're reversing all of that, but at a point where she didn't want to do it, she Mm -hmm. had to think about all of these young people who are angry out here, angry at the establishment. So what I would say to Cree is organize, 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 Mm. because they will always be able to isolate the individual. As we said with Dr. King, you can stop, uh, you may be able to stop the man, but you can't stop the movement. Right. Mm. And you have to create a movement around the things that are important to you. And what are some of those things that need a movement built around them? Uh, gentrification, the, the, the running out of poor people of this city. It is time for poor people to damn you have a revolution in this city. I mean, but what is it going? If you are not used to what you're not used to. Right. Mm-hmm. How do you say to someone, hey. I know this is what you're used to, but there's so much more. Yeah. Like, how do you say that? Because I feel like I say it, and people don't. They're like, well, huh? I'm, I'm be, used to this. Yeah. How? Why would I no, fight for that if I? People don't, and I teach community organizing. So direct action organizing. When I are teach, the classes? I Sign know, me up. I, I got to get to it <laughs> because it's three general principles. To win real, immediate, and concrete improvement in people's lives. To alter the relationship of power. Because all that's about power. City government can fight you back because they think they have power. Right? But the mayor, when he's running, had to come knock on your door and ask you for your vote. 
Right. If he could have did it on his own, remember now, he was able to squeeze his way into a runoff just by a couple of hundred votes. If Cree is sitting out here with three, four hundred people in the church and word got out that you're over here and y'all upset, every politician, every city council person going to be running over there to see what Cree wants. And so the more organized you are and able to articulate a clear message, see, uh, anybody can throw a bomb. It doesn't take an architect to tear something up. It takes an architect to build something. So you want to be an architect of a community strategy that wins. And anytime you put power in the hands of the people, the people are going to always follow good leadership. And so the reason that many of these politicians can't come out to these neighborhoods and have success is because people don't trust their leadership. Right. And so we have many examples of what community-based leadership looks like in his own neighborhood. Abel Mabel Thomas is a mm -hmm. prime example, a 20-something-year-old who beats a, a incumbent who happened to be the first black woman ever elected to the legislature. A 20-something-year-old Abel Mabel Thomas, a Georgia State student, came and beat her when she was like 27 or 28, right? A Derek Bozeman comes in and win election at 28, 29, um, coming out of Morris Brown College, mm -hmm. right? Being a student leader. And so you have to prepare to lead our people. And our people will uh, are starving for authentic leadership with an authentic voice. And you can become that. That's what I'm saying to young people. You do not have to wait to be anointed by some of these cats who the only way they're going to get out of the way is when they die. Mm-hmm. You ain't got to wait to be anointed by them as the next leader. Hell, get out here and start leading. And if you run into some mistake, fine. People will forgive your mistakes if they know your heart is right. So don't do anything that for money and don't do anything that your heart is not in it. If your heart ain't in it, stay home. Mm. Yeah. Okay, so you mentioned when you walk into City Hall, mm -hmm. you walk in representing the people because you wouldn't have gotten where you are without the people. Now, I was having a conversation with someone the other day, mm -hmm. and they alluded to the fact that the influencers and the people that have gained enormous social capital and, and the athletes and the rappers and entertainers rightfully are not responsible for taking care of their neighborhoods what are your thoughts on that brother i mean very clearly now um you know this is the the real it gets back to your original question this is the bifurcation of atlanta uh is it my call let me make sure this thing up no it's me, on let me it's on it i can clear. i can hear you <laughs> you know i love all these dudes but ti is not a leader in our community He's a leader of the hip hop world, mm -hmm. right? Um, you know, Killer make Mike sure you, has make sure you more. Say that again, like Killer Mike has more back. authenticity <laughs> because he does come from a grassroots. But these people are not leaders, and you when you want to get something done, you ain't, that's not who you're going looking to. At the end of the day, that City Hall, no, when Atlanta went up in smoke, uh, all of those people called. I didn't even have a good relationship with Mayor Keisha Lance Bottom, but she sent the police to my house to pick me up because she said, I need you to come and speak to Atlanta and help me get these folks home. Because she realized I had some level of authenticity of, of so she looked down to all the rappers and got them. Bernice King got her. But then she looked, who's the grassroots person out here? Right? Um, because if I get on this microphone and say, look, we want to advocate for affordable housing, meet me at City Hall, I'm not going to be by myself. People are going to come all from all over the city to talk about that issue. And so they've seen that. And so if I call the church rally, um, we done stopped uh, bond issues. We done stopped a whole lot of stuff in this city simply because we were uh, legitimately speaking to everyday people. And so I think the more you organize among the grassroots. Now, the young folks will get excited about uh, T.I., whomever, right? But that ain't who run this city. Most of them dudes can't even vote. 
Right. Most of them <laughs> didn't vote. Most of them can't vote as convicted felons still on paper, many of them. You think uh, Lil Dirk and uh, YFN Lucci was running to the poll? Uh, uh, what's the boy that's in jail uh, now? Young uh, Thug. Young Thug. <laughs> Do you think they were rushing to the poll to vote for Andre Dickens? That man understands his his uh, survival as a political figure is not tied to those folks. It's tied to them little old ladies who went to vote. And women, black women, who are the number one voters in this city, to the tune of about 60%. If you go on any primary day, mm. it's going to be black women that get you elected in this city. And they are using their power to elect other black women. Black man having a hard time out here, but that's uh, black girl magic is working for black girls. And, and, and nothing wrong with that. So long as these black women are progressives, you know, don't get me to start talking about some of them because some of them ain't. No, no, no. Let's talk about I it mean, because we I got absolutely a bunch agree. of pseudo incognito Negroes who are masquerading and fooling us into believing you elect me and I'm going to do something for your people, black people. And they don't have a track record of doing I'm anything. Doing for anything. Our people. None at all. Stacey Abram is one of them. Okay, now let's get into that. Come on with it. Um, just because, of course, your expertise supersede mine mm-hmm. in, in like every way. Um, so you have more of an eye to see through, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and when I met her, um, I wanted—I think I was still in, in school, so I had to be like twenty-one. I had not yet developed into an openly conscious person. Mm-hmm. So I was always privately conscious, but I hadn't openly, like, been conscious. Um, and so I didn't... From the encounter we had, it seemed... Yeah. ...true of of the things that she wanted to do were set out to do. And I haven't seen her since then, so that's been about four or five years. So you saying that, where is that coming well, from? Well, I, I, I uh, deal with records. I don't deal with how you feel. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's run the record. Uh, Stacey Abram as the minority leader. She's the minority, was the minority leader, sided with Republicans to cut down the early voting days from 45 to 30. She compromised on that issue. Stacey Abram changed, uh, sided with the Republicans again to reconfigure the uh, Hope Scholarship which allowed for more black young people to be taken, put off of the Hope Scholarship. Stacey Abrams sided with the Republican governor in DeKalb County to put a number of black elected officials, unheard of now, uh, since reconstruction, since you would just put people off of a board who had not engaged in malfeasance, had not engaged in any kind of criminal activity, but because SACS, the, the accrediting agency for schools, said, we do not like the way that the DeKalb County School Board is voting, she decided to put uh, qualified, eminently qualified black and whites off of that board. Uh, and so I'm saying those are the kinds of things mm-hmm. uh, anti-progressive from a so-called progressive Prior to mm. running for office, she never came to a black caucus meeting. That's well known. She never supported it. I'm saying now, but I ain't no fool. If she is up against Brian Kemp, then guess who I'm going to vote for? But I also understand that if given an opportunity uh, to be uh, a retrograde against black progress, then that's what you're going to get. Mm. Right? Because a black face in office doesn't mean that blacks are making progress. Mm-hmm. So we have black leaders and we have leading blacks. Damn. Mm. I mean, that's just real. But if Oprah Winfrey, now I tell Oprah Winfrey don't live here. It's wonderful. She come down here and they can campaign and everything, but she don't live here. Uh, and so I'm simply saying what we have to do as a people is sit that dear sister down and said, if you want our support, at what cost our support? Because just being against the Republican ain't enough if you got a Republican-esque person running. Mm. People have been saying, well, you know, we must vote for the black candidate running for mayor because we don't want a white mayor. Well, I said, hell, you've had a white one for the last two that you've had. <laughs> right. <laughs> okay. 
so the color of your skin is your public policy positions is what determines your consciousness. Not that you just have black skin because them black people will screw you worse than the white folks do. Right. And you don't even see it coming. The fact that we have old folk being run out of this community, just like you said, right? And the fact that some of these issues are intractable and we can't seem to fix it. We have a housing authority that should be doing, uh, that's appointed by the mayor, that could be developing a whole lot of public ho- uh, public housing, affordable housing. But they take the Civic Center property, pay $35 million for it, and then talk about they're going to put a mini Atlantic station. Now, I ask you, do we need more shopping or do we need housing for poor people? So, I mean, it's those kinds of things that we have to say to our leaders. We do not need leading blacks. We need black leaders. So how far in advance do the politicians at hand know that something like a mini Atlantic station is coming down the work? So, for instance, like, what's the lady's name that's been a city council lady for like 27 years? Over in Pittsburgh, what's her name? Uh, Cleta. She lost Cle- this time. Cleta Winslow. You got oh, a new council. Uh, Jason Dozier's your new she council. Did, okay, she yes, did. Okay. Yes. Yes. She'd been at thirty-two. She served with me. She'd been at thirty-two. That's just years. absolutely ridiculous. Mm-hmm. But even still, so if she proposed, well, yeah. So if she proposed something right in her last year. And then a new Jason Jason comes, right? Mm-hmm. Does he have the jurisdiction to say, we don't want that? Or because it was already passed when Cleta was in, do, does it have to go into effect? You know what I'm saying? Uh, it doesn't. Let me tell you this. Most city council people need training, too, because they don't understand the power that they have. And mm. all politics is about power. And I tell politics is about resource allocation. It's very simple. Uh, who gets what, when, and where? Is is that that's it? And uh, all that politics is supposed to do is return to the taxpayers of your specific district. That's what your politicians both do. Their money in goods and services. And so uh, most of them believe. Uh, because we have a strong mayor form of government. What does that mean? The mayor proposes a budget every year. Right. Right. But she cannot propose a budget. He cannot. In this case, with Mayor Dickens, he has to get uh, eight city council members to vote for it. So for the budget he proposes, he proposes a ten dollar budget. Let's try about seven hundred million, seven hundred seventy million, whatever the budget was. Okay, Mm -hmm. And eight people out of the 12 have to say yes. Yes. Mm -hmm. But they're saying yes to everything that falls under the line. Okay. So what I would do as a city council person is I knew the, uh, the budget season comes every, you know, we're on the July budget schedule. So the budget just passed. Right. Uh, I'm looking starting in about March. Let me see what I need for my district. So I can walk across the hall into the mayor's office and say, these are the things I'm going to need to be in the budget because these are the things that District 12 need. Uh, Find a way to work this in there. And then I'm going to be the one who leads. Not only am I going to find you eight votes, I'm going to go out and find you a couple more. And then I have to use my influence to do that. So when I'm able to do that, the mayor say, well, damn, this dude here is pretty good. He's, He's delivered for me, right? And so my stuff get in there because I know how power work and how the process work. So if I needed a new recreation center uh, in my district, then or my recreation center need rehab. And I said, put 15 million dollars down here for this recreation center. Otherwise, I'm not going to be in a position to support the budget. I walk on it or I won't support it or worst case, I'll speak out and try to kill it. So, you know, mm. the city council person has to know all of that. But what they do is keep those uh, city council people uh, dumb, deaf, and blind. Right, right. And most of them don't know. See, I had worked in city government for 12 years before I ran for city government. I interned So you know the T. I interned at City Hall. I was uh, a junior at Morris Brown when I interned first at City Hall in the Office of Contract Compliance. So I understood how the city contracting process worked. I understood all of that. So... 
Do you feel like you've seen a change in the way politics are done in Atlanta over the time, or is it pretty much like the same? Uh, it's changing, um, you know, to the credit of people that work hard. Uh, Antonio Lewis in District 12, uh, like my him. predecessor. Again, a young man who beat an incumbent. You know, he beat the young lady who came uh, behind me, George Shepard. Um, you know, and he came by my house two or three times. And he kept campaigning. And I said, young man, one thing you have in this district that is important is you have about 40, 50 percent of all new residents here. And if you get out and meet them because the incumbent ain't doing that, mm -hmm. you have a very good chance to win. That boy worked his behind off. Jason Dozier beats mm -hmm. Cleta Winslow in this district. Uh, Cleta, I, I did not see that one. Because Cleta would clean up a whole West End. And so she'd do the kind of things that people will see. And they equate uh, what somebody just told, new phrase, don't confuse uh, activity with accomplishment. Right? Ooh, that was a good one. <laughs> so Let a lot me of write people that down. That was activity. Good. You're just doing a whole lot of stuff. But is any of this leading to anything that means anything to anybody? And so there's a lot of activity, but people like, we need more than activity. We need street lights on. We need to get stop getting hit in the head. We need the West End Mall redevelopment. We need to see something tangible here. Mm. Okay, so I feel like I do still kind of need this question answered because you kind of answered it. Okay. But you are city council, right? And then... I was. No, I'm saying like hypothetically speaking, yeah, okay. this is the scenario. Scenario: You are city council and I am running for your seat, okay. right? You already proposed something. So it's already in motion before your departure. Yeah. Right. I, what's it called? Succeed yeah. Yeah, right. your right. seat. And if what you already proposed I don't agree with. Yeah. Can I? Oh, absolutely. Say yeah. no. Yeah. Yes, you can. Okay. A, a project okay. is not a project until it gets funded, right? Mm. And so you can say, "Hey, I want okay. to do all of these wonderful things," but until you put some money on the wood, it don't mean anything. You can say, "I want to streetscape all of Northside Drive, put beautiful light up no up there, and all of this." You got to get it in the budget, and that's what most city council people didn't understand. You can have all the wonderful plans you want. Mm. But can you put the money in the budget or can you induce the mayor to put the money in the budget? Because the mayor proposes the budget. So the money to get it done. that I would receive for my term would come from the mayor. The money that you receive for projects in your in, in outside of your see, every city council person has a budget to run their office. Right. So that's right. two hundred thousand, whatever it is, right? That's it. Um, I think it may Dang. be a little bit more. What can you do with that? Yeah. Well, it, that's for the staff person. That don't include their salary. I oh, think their okay. salary now has gone up a little bit. So okay. you can generally have full time uh, staff person plus benefits have to come out of that money. Your office supplies have to come out of that money. Uh, and most uh, city council people now have one or two other staffers. And so 200000 don't go that very far right. uh, in terms of that. And, you know, the city council lowball themselves because they are really a co-equal branch of government. The mayor's office is no bigger. The mayor can only do what a city council person puts on the floor and willing to pass. So do you think that the lack of financial resources that are afforded to the different offices is a result as to why people end up compromising? No, I mean, you have to, you know, I, I tell people one or two ways. The city council now makes $60,000, I believe, right? Which ain't too bad. But in Atlanta, you know, right. you have to, it, it's difficult to have another job, right? And uh, um, you have lawyers, you have a bunch of different professions there. But what you will find, that's why I have always advocated that the city council should be paid the hundred, hundred twenty thousand plus. Right. Because it really don't afford you to do anything else if you're doing it right. And so I, I'm a big advocate for paying the elected folks what they're worth. And um, because you get good government and I can right. get somebody who's fully focused 
as opposed to I got to leave here and then go to uh, where I'm a sister. I got to work the Mac counter down at uh, Macy's to make up for this other money that I need to live off of. It makes it difficult to to be able to work and be a full-time elected official. And there's nothing part-time a bit about being a city council person. Nothing. Right. So why did you choose to leave? Um, you know, I ran for president of city council and lost that race. So I it was a good time for me. I had accomplished everything I wanted to accomplish on the city council. I, I know I did not want to stay there for 30 years. I, I, Just awful. Yeah. Um, you know, I can see why people do because you could, you know, people get drunk with power. You, you know, it's, you know, to be called the honorable everywhere you go, invited to the dinners and all that. I didn't need that for me. I, I have a short attention span. So I went in there with a goal and that was to make my neighborhood better than what it was because I just felt my mama lived next door to me and she deserved a a neighborhood worthy of who she was and what she contributed to this community. Not just my mama, but all them little old ladies who lived over in the area just beyond me that was like shootout valley, you know. I had some options uh, because I bought the house across from her. But I had the option to go live wherever I wanted to live. Yeah. But I, you know, I made a conscious decision. I'm not running from my neighborhood. Hell, I'm going to run these thugs off from my neighborhood. And that's what we did. So if you ride down Pryor Road now, You'll see um, it's not uh, imbalanced racially. Uh, you know, Chad and them and Russ and them ain't running all around them. <laughs> we, we still live there. We own those homes. We made them keep the price moderate. And so you don't have this big old swing of half million dollar homes. Uh, you know, you have the 300 plus and now they're going up. But we did not let them overly gentrify. They wanted to put a half million dollar home in that neighborhood. I wouldn't let them do it. Because I knew what was going to happen. That half-million-dollar home now would be almost a million dollars, and we went on it. Damn. Right? We just went on it. Okay, so is yeah. Cleta responsible for that? Because there's a home with a glass garage right off of Metropolitan. And right across the street is a little shack of a house. And and it, they have like they drive like a Bentley and something else, a nice fancy little yeah. modern house. Is she responsible for well, that? Well, here's what you find is uh, inconsistent and incongruent. There's two things that have pushed gentrification in Atlanta: hypergentrification. If you look at the Beltline, is one of them. Right. Right. And so if you go and look at the price of housing along the Beltline. What you will see, a house that cost $45,000 about 15, 20 years ago is 450000 Nothing changed materially about the house other than developers and real estate agents and real estate brokers saying it is one, uh, 200 yards from the Beltline. Because everybody see that as a wonderful thing. But I knew that was a trick to begin with. I never supported it as a public policy. Because all it is, is it is a trick to put money in the pockets of developers and to cause for hyper, uh, a hyper inflation of the inflation of the housing values around it, including yours and mine, mama's house. And so what happens? They call. If you look at my phone today, I have at least 15 calls of people asking, do you want to sell, you your, sell home? your home? It's getting quick, to be easy, fast. They're using right. words like that. Yeah. We'll take it off your hands. It's no less than 15 calls a day. And that don't even include the text messages. Um, you know, and, and, and that is because that house that I bought 25 years ago for $48,000 sit next to a $480,000 house. And it, mm. it sits on a double lot. Wow. So I could knock my house down and put four of those 480,000s on it if 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 I wanted to. Mm. So but so on my end as a 56 year old who has some options, that ain't a bad deal. Mm -hmm. But for my 81 year old mama who lived next door, she ain't going nowhere. She's going to be there as long as a good Lord keep her here. But her phone is ringing every day, too. Right. So we had to tell her, take her phone. So is there something that you can that can be done to combat the number of 
um, calls and text messages that are being Man, made? This, or? this thing is just out of control. And so, mm. you know, a short of the FCC or somebody, but no, because they're going to just keep calling. They, 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 you know, and what I tell people, obviously somebody answered the phone and say yes. You know, we be laughing all the time. I be laughing with El about the the people who call. Hey, look, they they finally got a brother to answer the phone about the car warranty. Do you you want to renew your car warranty? So one brother said yes, and the man on the other end got quiet. He said, well, "He says why are you quiet?" He said, "Hell, we ain't never got this far before." <laughs> said, look here, we ain't never got this far before. I got to look at another screen to see what I'm supposed to say. <laughs> I'm so used to just being right, told no. Right, right. Cussed <laughs> out click. So we ain't never got this far before. Let me see what else I'm going to tell you after you say yes. So, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Okay, so just from sitting where you are and the things that you know, is yeah. there anything that can realistically be done to help kind of slow down the gentrification that's going I, on or stop it? The or? unfortunate thing, I think Atlanta is a lost cause. Uh, and so um, I think what we have to do now is say to the mayor and to the city council, you all have got to build some truly affordable housing. And what does that look like? You use the Atlanta Housing Authority not to pay $35 million for the Civic Center property in Midtown and then put a $600 million development on it. Take that property and put four or 500 units of housing that costs four to five hundred dollars a month. Put workforce workforce housing. Um, before I left city council, one of the last projects I did going out the door was those apartments that literally sit in the uh, a parking lot of Lakewood train station. Mm. Those are called transit oriented development TODs, and the thought was if we put the housing right here at the Martyr Station, people would need what? Cars. They could go right from there to work into the city. Mm -hmm. And we subsidize those by making them all Section 8 site-based. And so the rents in Section 8 site-based, when you build it with HUD money, your rent is never more than 30% of your income. Wow. Right? And so whatever that is, no more than 30% of your income is going to be. We've got to do more of that. How so did that, that even, how did you even do that? And how long did that even take? Well, the federal government, remember now, we got city government. Then we got the federal government. We have sent nearly a trillion dollars to Ukraine. Right. Okay. Right. So thank, just, just think for a moment now. Uh, I know they want democracy and we want to keep them from, you know, getting rolled up. I understand all that. But we got people living on tents and bridges. What if we could make the Biden administration understand? Now we got the former mayor up there sitting one desk over from him saying, why don't you pour some of that money down here in Atlanta so we can do some truly affordable housing at every modern station where we can put workforce housing so that young people like Cree who work hard don't have to spend all of her money on her rent mm -hmm. that she can live in a work live workplace for four five hundred dollars a month and then as she build her economic power she can come out of that and buy her a little condo a little house somewhere so that is the kind of stuff you got to to tell uh, our leaders to do leverage our relationships in order to pull money from the federal government because they have unlimited amount Right. They can spend it on what they want to to help build truly affordable housing, because what's going to happen is you're going to get too many bourgeois Negroes from mm -hmm. in Atlanta. The black bourgeoisie, I say they're worse than white folks when it comes to worse. De dealing with poor people. And so these Negroes who turn their nose up at the thought of seeing poor people, water boys or anybody else, um, that's what's going to overrun this city and ruin it. Um, mm. You know, that's where we had it. Okay, so last question. Um, who are some people that I and people my age should be um, paying attention to yeah. just regarding like activists or leaders or well, community um, organizers like yourself? Well, let me tell you one of the things I always encourage young people to do, get involved with campaigns. Raphael Warnock is running. That would have been a great campaign to go volunteer on. Right. Uh, we saw what yesterday a young uh, girl 
uh, 25 years old, but she was the uh, chief of staff to the chief of staff for the United States government. Wow. Right. And she testifying about what she saw the president do. How does a 25 year old get in that room? She volunteered on the campaign and she was competent. And when the opportunity came, she served. When you look at the mayor's uh, staff, some of those people left the campaign and went into his staff. Um, so get involved with that on that level. Volunteer for campaigns is always good. Um, organize. The most important thing you can do is be a true community organizer. And so whether that's organizing young people or organizing adults, volunteering, uh, becoming an MPU. I was an MPU chairman in my area for three years. You know, MPU is a system of division of community civic organizations throughout the city from A to uh, Z. And uh, that's a truly grassroots effort. So I would say, uh, as uh, John Lewis said, get in good trouble. You know, find opportunities to get in good trouble. And so, you you know, I can be uh, a, a flame throw, throw. Nobody can tear a room up better than I can. <laughs> But I'm also a hell of a negotiator behind closed doors. I know when to throw the bomb and I know when to retreat. I know when to negotiate and I know when to be bombastic. And you've got to be able to have uh, balance in all areas if you're going to be effective. Because I believe in giving input, but I believe in giving input that has impact. I'm, mm-hmm. just, I'm, I'm just not trying to do something out here. Yeah. Yeah, I'm trying to really, um, you know, push the envelope and then I'm I'm comfortable with not taking credit. I don't care how who take the credit. There have been many things that have been with me that we've done, whether it was Chattahoochee Brick or whatever it was. I let all them people who want to get the shine get the shine. But at the end of the day we got the result that we wanted. You know, and that's the thing that matters. Okay, so for real for a last question, because mm-hmm. <laughs> when you were saying you you with your input, you want to make an impact. Yep. Where do you get the ideas from? Do you get what I'm saying? Like, like the idea of putting the the housing at the Marta station. Like, I feel like that's genius, and that is such a simple concept. Mm-hmm. But like, where did that? You know what I mean? Yeah, well, How do you thing. get ideas like that that are impactful? What I became was a subject matter expert on housing because I was interested in where poor people are gonna live. And so what you begin to study is what are they doing to house people in other parts of the country? Portland and other places, Mm. you can see models of this, right? And say, if we just put this together, it makes so much sense. Uh, Many of these, if you look at any of these train stations, like High Tower Station, they have a back lot that's huge that they don't even use. But when they planted modern there, they planted it on about 20 or 30 acres, you only need two or three to put housing on. And if I could walk from my front door to the Marta Rail, jump on it and be gone and come back, then if I got a job downtown, I have cut out the need for a car, for gas, and for any of that because I can move around. So I think part of what you have to do is, as we always say, study to show yourself approved. And so become an expert on something so that when it comes time, they say you want to know about uh, radio. You know, I've been in radio 17 years. Ain't much that you can teach me about. All you got to do is put a microphone in front of me. I, I got something to say because I've been doing it for so long. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I'm an expert at it, period. And uh, housing, I understand it because I studied it. And I'm an expert. So you can't run these games about saying we're going to do affordable housing and then tell me – uh, 80% of area median income because I automatically know that that's not affordable to most people. Right. Yeah. And so I, I think that when you uh, are advocating, you just have to know what you're talking about. Cause these people will double talk you and they will have you advocating for stuff that's outside of your own best interest mm. because that's what they, they, they need you to do. Yeah. Yeah. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I will say that I think that was that was really great. Thank you so much, Mr. Derek, for joining me today. Um, I enjoyed your presence. I enjoyed your everything. Um, 
And thank you all so much for listening. Once again, this is the Cool and Conscious Podcast. I'm your host, Questions with Cree, and this is being brought to you by none other than just Eldridge Media, which is a Black-owned, Black-run company. Every Friday, make sure you tell a friend to tell a friend to tune in to the Cool and Conscious Podcast. I love you, and I'll see you next time. Well, not see you, but yeah, you'll hear me next time. (laughs) Bye, (laughs) y'all.